sorry. Should okay. Uh, if you have your Bible, can you can turn to Matthew twenty one? We are reading from Matthew twenty one, verse one to eleven. The title is Jesus comes to Jerusalem as King. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord Jesus, the Lord leads them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to Dr. Sion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus has instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large cloud spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbor we pass by every day outside our homes. That co-worker we see at the office five days a week. All those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it will cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith because when it's hard to find the moment or the words or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? Morning, everyone. Morning to you guys at home who have tuned in. We have many of our families are away today and as um, and partly because we don't have kids 
church on, families there that choose to stay home, or they're away on holidays, they're travelling. So we do have an activity sheet for you, boys and girls, if you would like to do that. There's a word finder and a colouring thing on the back. Um, and I do have some Easter eggs for you today. Not, what we normally do is I give you the Easter egg if you complete the thing at the end. I probably don't have enough. How many kids do we have here? If you're a kid, stand up. I want to count you. You're slow learners, these guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Down the back, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, there's enough for eleven. I was wondering if there's enough for two each. Probably not enough for two each. Do you want it now or do you want it at the end? If you would like a chocolate egg, you can come and get one now. And if you complete it, there is, you want just one. I, I know the one you want because they're the ones I like. Don't take chocolates from older men. Oh, here we are, sorry. I tell you what, I'll put them on the floor, just take one. Gee whiz. You kids eat this morning? Yeah. There's more. Oreos. Oreos. Okay. There's one on the floor, could you pick that up for me? Thanks. You don't have to have that one. You can pick whichever one you want. Not that one. You can have that one. How many were there? 11. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 12, 13, 14, 15. Four for me. Okay, if you do the colouring in or if you do the word finder, if you get it all completed, and if you're doing a word finder, you've got to find all the words to get another chocolate. If you're colouring in, don't go outside the lines. Okay. Mums and dads, if you were doing it, you're doing it simply for the joy of it, you do not get an Easter egg. Remember these? The leaves? I want to remind you of them and encourage you to have a look at the tree that we have down there with the names on it. And every time you see it, just pray that God will work on the hearts of these people. Because he's got to do the work. We can't do it. And our job really is simply to give the invitation. And not to do that forcefully, but to do that naturally. Let God open the opportunity for the conversation and, and say, oh, by the way, we're running Alpha. Would you be interested in coming to that and you'll be surprised that some people, many people perhaps will say yes, I wouldn't mind coming to that and of course it would be helpful if you've invited someone that you come as well, that you invite them and like Pastor Charlie said we had a conversation the other day, it was like how many people are you expecting to come to this and we both said about 100, that's what we would like to see, that's not 100 non-believers that's 50-50 so and we're doing training for group leaders because the way, as you saw in the video, it's just a very natural conversation. It's, you don't have to be a theological expert. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do Alpha. You just have to be honest and be prepared to ask and or answer questions honestly. And we don't have all the answers. And there are questions that we can't answer. And so it's being prepared to live with that. So I commend this to you. Please take an invitation and prayerfully See whom God, and God might surprise you who he does it with, but you already have someone on your heart, I would expect, as we do, and so pray into that. Let God do his work.
Get it? Got it. That's good. Welcome to Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together, to worship you and to sing some great songs, to read your word and to read this familiar story and to again be surprised by what you show us, to have fellowship with one another and encourage one another. Where I do pray, Lord, for the families who are not here this morning, either travelling or away on holidays. May they have a good time and a safe time and Lord, please bring them back. Bless them where they are. For those at home and for those of us here in the building, Lord, we likewise look to you for your blessing and enabling this morning. Please speak to us. Show us yourself and your truth that we might be encouraged and enthused to follow the Lord Jesus very closely. And Lord, we commit to you all of the folks um, and our whole Alpha process. Lord, you do your work. Uh, thank you for those who have come to faith already and Lord we just hope that's a trickle and we hope you send a harvest, a flood that many, many, many more will come to faith in the Lord Jesus. We ask and pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Here is my heading for this morning. Jesus, the promised king, orchestrates his annunciation. I took a little bit, I know it's a mouthful, but it's about today is an intentional day in the mind and in the plan of God. Jesus is king. And this day, the Palm Sunday, when he rides the colt of the donkey into Jerusalem, that's him announcing, I am your king. He's doing it... Uh, Every other time he did a miracle up until this point for the last three, three and a half years, he would be saying, shh, don't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. No more. Now it's public, it's deliberate, it's intentional. I am your king. I am the one who was promised. I am the one who was predicted. I am the one who was prophesied about. I am your king. And he's announcing this and he's the one who is orchestrating it. Jesus is the one who made these plans whether in terms of arranging it ahead of time or just in the providence of God, being responsive to that which the Spirit of God was prompting him to do. We're going to work our way through this passage uh, in just a moment. But Jesus is the one who stages this. It's intentional. It's deliberate. Um, and he's basically throwing down a challenge to the leaders who have been pussyfooting around for several years. They're on the edge of rejecting him. And now he's throwing down the gauntlet and he's basically saying, it's time to act. Do what you're going to do. I am the king. Bow your knee before me and accept me or kill me. It's as blunt as that. In fact, Timothy Keller quotes a guy whose name is Reynolds Price. He wrote a book called The Three Gospels, Mark, John and his own translation or interpretation of the Gospels. Reynolds Price says this, when you read Jesus carefully, he is saying... I am the absolute king. You can despise me as a lunatic or you can serve me completely, but there is nothing in the middle. There's no halfway step. Crown me or kill me is how Keller expresses it. I want all of you, Jesus says, or I want none of you. I can help you, but only if I am your king. 
I'm not a consultant, I'm not a counsellor, I am not a helper, the Lord Jesus says. I am king. Bow your knee before me or reject me. And at this point in the gospel narrative, the gospels, um, David Pawson, I think it is, doesn't matter who it was, but David Pawson describes the telling of the story of the gospel, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, is like a train which is going and as we approach this point in time, the train starts to slow down and we start picking up more details and there becomes this incredible focus upon the last week, the last day and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus at the end of each of the four Gospels. About four chapters, there are 89 chapters in all four Gospels and four of them, two in Matthew and two in Luke, tell us about his birth and the first 30 years of his life. He's around his mid-30s by the time he dies and from into his early 30s, just four chapters, hardly any detail at all as you are familiar. We have one account of when he was 12 and he was in the temple. All of the rest of the chapters talk about him and his public ministry, the last three years of his life, three and a half years of his life. And half, two-thirds of them focus on that and one-third of those chapters, a full one-third, focus on the last week. And then the percentages go like this. Luke uh, devotes 25% of his entire gospel, one quarter of it, to talking about this last week, the last 24 hours and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Matthew gives 29%, Mark gives 38%, John gives almost half, he's 48%. Half the Gospel of John is about this last week, his death, the upper room, communion that we've had this morning, his crucifixion and trial and punishment and his resurrection. There is this massive focus in the Gospels because that's why Jesus came into the world. He didn't come simply to be an example, he is, but he didn't come primarily for that. He didn't come primarily to teach, though he did do that. He didn't come primarily to perform miracles, though he did that. The primary reason why Jesus Christ came into our world was to save us, to die in our place and so that we could be redeemed and he could be our acknowledged king. That's why he came. Just before we get to this story, just to tell you about Jericho, Jesus says, uh, halfway through the Gospels, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> and we know where he was just before uh, in Matthew 21, where he grabs the donkey from Bethany or Bethphagi. Um, and he's been in Jericho, where he healed a little tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus. There were two blind men just on the outskirts of Jericho as Jesus left that, heading towards Jerusalem. The two blind men were healed and one of them was called Bartimaeus. When you leave Jericho, it's a distance of about 24 kilometres up to Jerusalem, roughly, but you ascend 1,200 metres. In old lingo, you're going to go 15 miles and you're going to ascend 3,600 feet. It's pretty steep, isn't it? Uphill. So that's, they, oft, they talk about going up to Jerusalem. They are literally going up to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus has made that trip and he's come to his most favourite place probably in all of the land of Israel, Bethany. Bethany seems to have been his favourite place because three of his closest friends live there. Their names were Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Two sisters and a brother who lived together. They were never married but they became very close to the Lord Jesus. 
Um, and he loved spending time there, and there are numerous, half a dozen references to his encounters there. He arrives there perhaps on the Friday, Friday afternoon. He spends Friday night in the Sabbath with these friends in Bethany. And then on the next morning, he gets up and he's going to go to Jerusalem. Sunday morning, he gets up. Um, surrounding the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion is here, and surrounding it are all these hills. And so these hills are higher than the city of Jerusalem. And so uh, with this being Passover time, uh, millions of people uh, would have moved to Jerusalem for the celebration of it. And they would have been camping around on the ridges and everywhere else. To the east is the Mount of Olives. And to the south of the Mount of Olives, as you come from the top, there is Bethany. And then there's, we say it in English, Bethphage. It's probably pronounced Bethphage. It's a very small little village, not far from, you can see it from Bethany. <clears throat> and it's there that Jesus will send the two disciples to grab this colt of the donkey. He then descends and going down to the south around the Mount of Olives, across the brook Kidron and then up into the city of Jerusalem. That's where he's going. That's what he's doing. Let's just have a look at that. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead of him. We don't know who the two were. People like to guess, but we're not told. We don't need to know. And Jesus said to them, I want you to go into that village ahead of us, Bethphage, and at once you will find a donkey tied there <clears throat> uh, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. We are told in another gospel, Matthew doesn't tell us, that the colt on which Jesus is going to ride in a moment had never been ridden by anybody else. The cult next to the mother, of course, would have gone through a training process. You have to break it in. Well, no one had ever sat on this cult. It hadn't done the breaking in process. And Jesus says, if anyone says to you, uh, what are you doing? And in the other gospels, they do. And then simply tell them, the Lord says to them that he needs it. And then he will send them right away. In the other gospels, it sort of, on that end of it says, tell them that the Lord needs it and that he, the Lord, will send it back straight away. That when I've used it, I'll send it back to them. But in Matthew, he tells us, say to them, the Lord needs it and the owner of the donkey or the colt, he will immediately go, oh, okay. Jesus is acting like a king. Kings had the right in the ancient world to sequest anything that they needed for their own transport. So if the king says, I want your donkey, then yes, your majesty, you can take my donkey and you can use it. It's remarkable. Verse 6, jumping over a few verses, the disciples went and they did just as Jesus had instructed them. There's a lesson for us, isn't it? Whenever Jesus says anything to you, do it. It's as simple as that and as hard as that, isn't it? Because often the Lord Jesus will ask us to do something at a time when it's not convenient for us. He is our king. And so our response ought to be like the disciples here. When Jesus tells you to do something as he was telling these, there's a very important reason for it. You may not know what that important reason is and it might be weird to you. When we are in Sydney recently, a few weeks back, looking after our granddaughters, my eldest granddaughter, Eleanor, had this meme on her phone and she read it out. And it was a story that went something like this. There was a young girl, she was a gymnast, 
and she was with her parents and they went to a petrol station. When she's a Christian, when she was sitting in the car, she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, I want you to get out of the car, I want you to go into the shop at the petrol station and I want you to do a handstand in front of the fridge where the cold drinks are. And she went, what? Holy Spirit said it to her again. I want you to go into the, the shop. I want you to do a handstand in front of the fridge. She felt, this is weird. But there's, there was this compulsion about it. So this young teenage girl gets up eventually and she goes into the shop. She goes over in front of the, thin, uh, the fridge. She does a handstand and then is heading back to the car. On her way out of the car, the guy who was in the shop, who's in charge of the shop, stopped her and said, why did you do that? She said, told him the story, you know, I felt God prompted me and told me to go and do that. He said, a few hours ago, I'm struggling with life. A few hours ago, I said to God, God, if you're real, send somebody in to do a handstand in front of the fridge. (laughs) When God asks you to do weird things, Take a risk, do them. Of course, it's safe and sensible to check some of that with other wise counsellors, other trusted people in your life. If you're a teenager, you could check it with your parents and so on, right? But at the end of the day, we need to be obedient. The Lord doesn't mind us checking it. He doesn't mind that at all. In fact, he encourages us to do so, to be wise and sensible. Otherwise, we can be tricked by the evil one, misled by our own emotions and so on. There's all sorts of deceit going on in the world. But isn't it incredible? I remember reading years ago about a young man in England who was responding to what he thought the Lord was telling him to do when he was on a bus ride going across to the other side of London. The Lord had told him to go and visit this person in this particular address. He said to the Lord on the bus as they're driving over, he said, Lord... Why are you sending me? Why don't you pick somebody who is closer? The Lord said to him, because no one else will go. So God will get his job done. He'll use somebody. And God has an incredible way of being persuasive, doesn't he? The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. Let me encourage you. Let the pastoral staff encourage you, please. Listen to what the Lord says to you through his word. God speaks to us through general creation, revelation. God speaks to us primarily through special revelation, the scriptures. But God also speaks to us through personal revelation. That's where he prompts you or he puts ideas in your mind or in your heart. You need to check those as you grow to maturity in Christ with the scriptures. And these prompts will never contradict the scriptures. This has authority. This is infallible and inerrant. And we read it and follow it. And that teaches us, and it talks about this very thing, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's what the disciples were doing here. I wonder what the Lord's saying to you. Are you obedient to it? Are you doing it, taking those prompts? Well, certainly in the minds of the disciples, they didn't understand what was going on. We'll come to that in just a second. But in the mind of the Lord Jesus, uh, he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. God needs 
your donkey. Remember they go and they, the donkey's done, and the owner says, what are you doing untying the donkey? The Lord needs your donkey. All that hit me during the preparation for this talk of God needs, what happens when God says to us, Daryl, I need your fill in the blank. I don't have a donkey. I've got a car. I've got a wife. <laughs> Who's watching? Hi, sweetheart. I have books. I have associate pastors. I can give them. <laughs> What's your donkey that God would say, I want your donkey? Um, because God, you see, is the one who is using what he has already provided to somebody else. Let me encourage you, perhaps even this morning, to take inventory of all that you have, all that you possess. You don't own it. He owns it. What we own, we take with us when we exit this world, which is nothing. Only that which we have sent on ahead. He is the one who owns it. It belongs to him. He's the king. We have possession of it. We have a loan of it and we are to use it and enjoy it. That's why he gave it to us and to use it for his purposes and for his glory. The Lord Jesus, all through his public ministry, was always borrowing something. He borrowed a boat to preach from. He borrowed a manger when he came into the world to be laid in as a baby. He borrowed the little boys five fish and two loaves in order to multiply them to feed 5,000 plus people. He borrowed the upper room where he had the Lord's Supper. He borrowed the tomb before he demonstrated the resurrection. God needs your donkey. And God loves it when his kids participate in his kingdom work. Get the thrill out of it. Just like we do when our kids want to work with us and help us and assist us. There's a joy in it. And God delights, our Heavenly Father delights to see us grow and to mature and to become more like Jesus. Jesus did this intentionally. The disciples didn't know what was going on, but Jesus did. And Jesus knew this was the time. So he said, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Jesus is aware of this scripture. Say to daughter Zion, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus doesn't ride the donkey, he rides the colt. John 12, 16 tells us, <clears throat> at first the disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified, risen from the dead and ascended, did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So they're acting in obedience and they're not fully aware of what's going on. But in looking back, as is often the case for us, looking back, you, you can join the dots and see what, how God has been leading and what God has been doing. They brought the donkey and the colt and then they took off their outer garments, their cloaks, and they laid them on both. They didn't know which one Jesus was going to ride. They're making a saddle, if you like, for him. But it's also a beautiful picture, a symbol of them submitting themselves to his divine rulership in their life. And not only did the disciples do that, Jesus chose to sat on this young colt that had never been ridden. And I always imagine the cult was calm. We're not given any details of how it reacted or responded, but it was placed in a very uncomfortable position because not only did it have somebody now riding on it, that hadn't happened before in its life, but it's going to also have palm branches waved in its face. It's going to be people shouting, people laying garments in front of it as it's walking along. It would be quite easy to imagine this cult getting skittish. 
But the text gives the impression, doesn't it, that Jesus is riding the colt and he is gentle. There's this, I get a sense of it's calm, it's orderly. He's in control, as indeed he is. Very large crowds also spread their cloaks on the road, a symbol of their submission, of their hope. Perhaps it was getting dusty and they're trying to calm it down. It had happened before a couple of times in history, both with King Jehu but also with the Maccabees. It was where someone, a deliverer has come and it's their way of celebrating and praising. Others cut down palm branches, laid, used them on the road instead. Hence, that's why we call it Palm Sunday. Matthew doesn't tell us it was a palm tree, but one of the other gospel writers do. The crowds likewise now notice that went ahead of him. There's a crowd in front and there's a crowd that followed him. And they started shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means, Hosanna means save. Na means now. Hosanna, save now to the son of David. First time is almost that they're calling him that. Others had called him that, but now Jesus is receiving it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. If you compare all four Gospels, then you get, that's a summation of what they said. Um, Let me see if I can find. If you combine it all, I came up with five different statements, and they're probably all there. Um, And the authors, under the Holy Spirit's direction, have just picked which two or three they wanted to include. In the order that I've got it, Hosanna to the son of David, followed by blessed is the king or the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's a combination of all those sorts of things. They're almost being whipped up into a frenzy where they're acknowledging you're the king. For a very short short time, this crowd is acknowledging who Jesus really is. He's the king. He's the son of David. He's come to set up his kingdom. And they have a certain expectation. What they're expecting him to do is to come into Jerusalem and to throw the Romans out. If the king came riding a white horse or came riding a horse, it would be declaring war. When a king came riding a donkey, he's declaring peace. So they misunderstood exactly. They knew that he was the king, but they were misunderstanding his intentions. Uh, When he gets into the city of Jerusalem, if he was going to throw the Romans out, he would have turned right to the fortress of Antonio, where the Roman garrison was. He didn't. He got into the city of Jerusalem, he turned left, he went to the temple. And the crowd outside that was saying, hail to the king, you know, Hosanna in the highest. Um, Blessed is... The one who comes, uh, the son of David, blessed is the coming king. All of the things that they were saying, suddenly Peter's down. And dissent or uh, quietness descends upon the city. And there's quite a mixture in the crowd. I'll come back to that. We might come back to that. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? The word stirred is the same as the earthquake. They were shaken. When Jesus came into the world, when the wise men came to Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The city was stirred at his birth. The city is now stirred at his annunciation of his kingship. 
and they'll be stirred again at his resurrection. The crowd answered incorrectly but inadequately, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They don't declare that he is the king. Oh, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Correct, but he's so much more than that. And he has just orchestrated and demonstrated his royalty, that he is the king. But they didn't get it. And this crowd that had been acknowledging him to be a king in five days from now will turn and they will answer Pilate's question, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crown me or kill me. And I can see the crowd reasoning of saying he's coming to to throw the Romans out, but he doesn't do it. In fact, he doesn't do anything like it for the next five days. And they turned on him. They went from acknowledging he was the promised Messiah to being he's just another messianic imposter away with him. At least Barabbas did something to attack the Romans. So who do you want to release, Barabbas or Jesus? Well, Jesus is doing nothing. At least Barabbas had a go. Let's release Barabbas. You can see the crowd shifting in their mindset towards him. But of course, all of this is in the the mind of God, all in part of the plan of God. God knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew it was going to happen. And Jesus embraced the will of God, even though it would lead to incredible pain and eventually his own death. The people were divided about Jesus. There was a mixture, both of disciples and of people wondering who he was and of people who were sincere in questioning him, but the vast majority of them saw him as a distraction. Mark 11, 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple courts, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late in the day, he went out to Bethany with the 12, which is what the Lord Jesus will do for the next five days. Every night he'll stay in Bethany until Thursday. And on Thursday, he'll stay in the city of Jerusalem in the upper room where he'll have communion, the Passover meal with his disciples, and then Judas will go out and betray him and Jesus will be arrested in the garden at the Gethsemane. Jesus is always a person who divides people's opinion. People either follow him, love him, or they don't. But like I said right at the beginning, there is no middle ground Some people try to have a foot in both worlds. Jesus is king, but I want to do my own thing. Well, Jesus says, either I am king and I am ruler of all, or I am not king or ruler at all. I know that's stark, but that's the reality. That's the way it is. And in your experience, you may very well explain it as, I've received Jesus as my saviour, but I've never acknowledged him to be Lord. I understand the language and I understand the sentiment that people are trying to communicate when they say that, but biblically, that's nonsense. If he is saviour, he is Lord. If he is not Lord, he's not saviour. If he is not Lord, if he's not your king, he has not redeemed or saved you from your sin. Sin is me, the servant, wanting to put myself in place of the king. Sin wants me to do my own thing. Salvation is the king putting himself in the place of the servant in order that he can redeem and forgive. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you say he is? If Jesus says for you to do it, would you do it? 
God is the one who wants to use our resources. God wants our donkeys. God is a God who keeps his word and his plan. The disciples didn't understand all of this, but they were obedient. And Jesus is king. We need to submit to him and to his rule. And then there are some questions available. They're just very general questions. Well, they fall into two from master life. What did God say to me? What did you learn about God? What stood out for you? What didn't you know? What were you reminded of? Is there still a question you'd like to have answered? What did God say to you? Is there a biblical truth you can share with somebody else from this passage, from this talk? Is there something you need to work on in your life to change? What verse stood out for you? What would be good to underline or highlight or even to memorise out of this passage? And then what will you say to God? One, two, three. Things of response. That's what Master Life teaches us when we read God's word to respond to it. What did God say to me and what did I say to God? We're going to stand in a moment we'll pray. But if you would like prayer at the end, then please come forward. Some of the elders and pastors are here and they'd love to pray for you and with you. Let's stand together and we'll finish our service. And boys and girls, if you've done your colouring in or your word search, don't forget you come forward and you may get another Easter egg. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you that you are sovereign and in control. Nothing catches you by surprise. Thank you that you're working your purposes out in the world and in each of our lives. Lord, we want to stand in your presence now and commit ourselves to you. Lord, you're the king. Be king of our lives, each of our lives. Forgive us for the times when we take control, when we want to do things our way. Forgive us when we aren't responding to your prompts, to what you want us to do. Lord, forgive us and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be your servant, instruments in your hands for you to achieve your purposes. And Lord, if there's anything that we have that you want, any, if you want our donkey, then Lord, make that clear and help us to be obedient to it. Go with us now, bless us in the days of this week and Lord, open our eyes to see the opportunities prompt us, use us to the honour and glory of Jesus. I pray in his name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless everybody. Have a great week. Please be seated.